the one big thing all lenders want to know is what are the risks? Yeah. Right, so risk mitigation, I keep coming back to that. Yeah. But also how are we going to get paid? Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Founder Stories. Today I have with me Jazz Kunkun. He is the CEO and founder of Works Consultancy. He's also a family member of mine. He helped me, which we'll get into, get my business off the ground. I'm really excited about this one. It's a really special episode because of just the level and years of experience that Jazz has. I think for every business owner, that you know, my audience for Founder Stories is really startups and scale-up businesses. He's got 30 plus years experience of running businesses, helping businesses, looking at businesses. So if you're gonna pay attention to any episode, this is the one. Jazz, welcome to Founder Stories. Thanks for Hi, coming Hi, No pleasure. Thank you for having me. I know we don't live too far away, but we don't get to see each other that often because we're both so busy. Yeah. Um, I wanna really start at the beginning. Right now, I know you've got a number of non-exec roles. I know that you help people get funding. I know that you've got a specialism in the property sector just to give people a bit of a taste of what we're going to get into later. Mm -hmm. But let's start at the beginning. How many years back did you start your career? Right. And what was your first kind of role that's led you towards where you are now? Um, so if you want to go right back to the beginning, um, I joined NatWest on the 28th of August, 1988. Um, yeah, I yeah, was but, um, six then. Right, there you go. <laughs> I really so it was a little need while ago. to. Do you know what? My skincare regime is crazy now, and I yeah. still think you look probably the same age as me. That's good. I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. You, you'd so, never guess. So, yeah. So, we started in NatWest. Uh, I've done. Uh, I didn't do. Um, didn't do a degree. Did my A levels at, at school. Um, got decent results, uh, and got onto a management trainee program with NetWest. Uh, started off at Warsaw Branch. Still remember the postcode WS one one ER. You know, it's like imprinted, embedded in my mind. What made you go for a bank? Is it parental? You know, we're both Indian. You have this thing from your parents of pushing yeah. you towards a solid corporate job. You want to make them proud. Is that the main reason for going yeah. for that kind of graduate yeah. scheme type role? Mum and dad, who were great, really supportive, but they said, look, you know, go into a job where it's clean. Yeah. You know, we, we grew up in pubs. So when I was two weeks old, uh, we moved into our first pub in Wolverhampton. Okay. So throughout my whole childhood, we lived in pubs. We lived above a pub. Yeah. Uh, and my dad ran the pubs and I helped him out. Yeah. So that built in a really strong work ethic because in those days, you used to bottle up before you went to school. Yeah. And then the pubs used to close between four and six. So I'd get home from school, clean the pub. Yeah. In those days, people smoked. So there were cigarette butt ends everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. So you had yeah. to sweep all the pub up. Um, so we did that and got the pub ready to open at six o'clock. And then sometimes I'd open up and then wow. my dad would come down and then I'd get to my homework um, or whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. So that was that was sort of our childhood. So the work ethic was instilled at that, that point. Yeah. But that sort of lifestyle uh, number one it was 24 7 yeah uh, but number two you know my parents didn't want me to do that they really really wanted me to have a professional lifestyle yeah so they were looking at you know typical engineers we were looking at doctors bankers solicitors yeah you know really wanted you to have a, a professional lifestyle as they called it wear a shirt yeah. and tie and and, and look the business because they went through all of that hard work in order for them to put you in that position yeah. right yeah 
Yeah, uh, and they did. They were, you know, they worked tremendously hard, um, and I'm always grateful for that. Um, so they, they, yeah. So I joined NatWest, um, which was which was really good. Um, I'd done my A levels and went on this management development program thing. And for the first six months, I think it was uh, my job at NatWest was um, bagging coin downstairs in the basement. So the bank used to collect all the all the coins from all the car parks in the city. Um, okay. So yeah, they yeah. all used to come in, yeah. mix coins, and we had this big, massive machine downstairs in the in the basement. You'd put the coins in the top, and you'd sort the coins. And yeah. the coins. So for, for about six months, I think, three, six months, I was doing that. And I thought, not really putting my A-levels to good use here. Yeah. So I went out of the manager, and you know, I was waiting for you to come and tell me that you wanted to move on. So so progressed then through the bank. So that was, um, so that was yeah, 1988. Um, but you were willing to start and do that six months. Yeah, in yeah. the first place, you didn't have an attitude of, well, I'm not going to take the job at all if this is what they're going to make me do. Well, it was my first salary job. Yeah. So it was the first time I was getting, you know, quite what I perceived then as decent money into the bank. Yeah. Um, so I was quite happy. Yeah. Plus the fact, you know, I was in the basement. I got my old Walkman on, listened to, listened <laughs> yeah. to Bruce Springsteen every no day. Worries. Happy days, no worries. Yeah, yeah. You know, picking yeah. up a paycheck at the end of the month. Happy, yeah. happy days. So, so it was good from that perspective. But then you slowly realise, actually, I'm, I'm not really using my brain to, to a large degree. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was, so that was the first, my first job was bagging coin at, at NatWest in Warsaw. So yeah, that was, that was how it started. But my parents were happy with that, you know, and it just shows the, um, the sort of different levels of understanding because my dad always was curious, why didn't I come home at half past three when the bank's closed? Mm. And I suppose we have to count the coins, we have to check the checks there's all sorts of stuff that goes on after yeah. the bank closes you know yeah. banks used to close at half past three yeah yeah um and and you know they just didn't didn't understand that so what did you do from that point on so you're in this junior role what was your general approach was it still just to keep working hard and keep gently asking can i progress what can i do how can i move forward because i know that when I started my business about 12 years ago, you were still working at the banks then. Yeah. But you were in a senior role overseeing maybe 50 to 100 high-value clients yeah. and helping them with really important areas of their business. So yeah. in, in a short story, what was the transition from, from bagging coins to being a senior manager in, in the bank? Well, I was, I was at NatWest for, for 12 years. Um, and I was really fortunate that I met an awful lot of good people there, mm. uh, some of whom are my closest friends today. Yeah. Um, and they sort of helped me, mentored me, if you like, to grow within the bank. And in those days, if you joined the bank, you started at, in the basement, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. And then you went through the roles. So you learned about the banking system. You learned about standing orders, direct debits, foreign payments, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So there's was, was sort of a pr progression. Yeah. So, you know, you never stayed in a job more than, Six twelve months. Okay, so um, actually, whether it's like that now or not, there was nice. an opportunity for people to progress. Yeah, if they wanted to, if they showed aptitude, if they're probably willing to do a bit of studying yeah. and work outside of their allotted time. Yeah, and those were the people that were just yeah. So we, we, you know, myself and my colleague, we took the banking exams, etc., cetera, yeah. etc. Cetera. So we had a we had a sort of career path, and you could take it as, as far as you wanted. Um, and I ended up. Um, at now West working with the, um, it was called the Enwis team, which was uh, the part of the bank that looked after the customer's wealth. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we managed people's monies to a large degree, made sure their money in the bank was earning the best it could, 
Um, we looked at protection, we looked at pensions and all that type of thing. So we did we did that for, for quite a while, and I progressed through those ranks quite quickly. Yeah. So I think my last. So that I, was looking at the individual directors or owners of the company, their own personal wealth management. Correct. Almost like what an independent financial advisor would do. That, well, that's that's now. what we were. Yeah. 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 So in those days, you had two types of advisors. You had tied advisors that would only um, talk about the the bank's products and could yeah. only sell the bank products, and yeah. you had IFAs. Yeah. that could look at the whole of the market. So you had those two different sort. Yeah. So I progressed into those sort of roles okay. and then ended up managing people in those roles yeah. as well. So it gave me a massive amount of experience. Um, you must have had an interest in money, how businesses work, what makes them successful, helping directors because they're working so hard to earn that money, yeah. make that money go further. Yeah, it was it was protecting it really. Risk risk mitigation, I guess, is, yeah. is, is the right way to phrase it. So it was protecting that wealth. But also, it got me working with business managers who yeah. were lending the money, which okay. was slightly different. Yeah. So, so and those guys were, again, fantastic learning curve. Those guys were going out, seeing businesses, lending money, but then using our side of the business to, to protect those customers. Yeah. So, you know, if something were to happen to a shareholder or if something was to happen to a director, how would that business survive? What were the risks? associated with that so it was it was about it was just a massive learning curve um you know and and you're constantly learning as you as you evolve through those learn um, mm. as you evolve through those those sort of roles and the great thing about natwest and all the banks that i've worked with is that they do spend an awful lot of money on on their individuals yeah so you know we went on i can't remember how many training courses we went on um you know and i'll be always grateful for that because i couldn't do what i'm doing now do you think it's like that now because um, my, or do you think that the accountancy firms are different to the banks? Because my experience at, say, KPMG was they didn't give a shit about us. We were just a resource. We were junior. They had big contracts. They wanted to make the maximum average hourly rate that they could. And they, they spent a tiny bit of time at the end of each month or quarter talking about development, but everything else was just utilize the resource. I think... Um... I think certainly in those days, I think that um, there was an awful lot of emphasis on development. Yeah. There was an awful lot of emphasis on making sure that you were happy in your role, but that you were also progressing. Yeah. So as I say, I, I can't remember the number of courses I went on. I mean, NatWest in those days even even had its own college at Haythrop. Wow. They used to send people to for a week's course, two weeks course, management training courses, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I've still got some of the old... Um, Books and, and we had cassette tapes. Yeah. Cassette tapes. You probably don't remember cassette tapes. But we had cassette tapes that we used to listen to. I did have cassette tapes. You know. Um, I was trying to think of the guy's name. Vanilla Tracy. Ice. Vanilla Ice was the first album I bought and that was on cassette. My first cassette was Michael Jackson, Thriller, that my mate recorded. You know, when you, know, when you had a record player, <laughs> yeah. you recorded record the radio. Yeah, I used so to I'd, do that, record the top 40. Yeah. And cut out all the bits in That's between. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had, um, I think I had Thriller on one side and Off the Wall on the other side. It was my favourite cassette type. It was one out. Second to your NatWest Principles yeah. of Business Banking. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so, so cool. they, they did spend an awful lot of time on, on development. And it stood me in good stead. But it also got me in front of and working with people that were senior in the bank and that pulled me up. Yeah. Uh, and I've got it, you know, I'm always grateful to those guys because I don't think, again, I'd be where I am if it wasn't for those. But do you think that's, because you, you strike me as someone who's got a natural ability to maintain and develop relationships. And do you think 
that was learnt at the bank or you've got that as a natural thing from working in the pub and from family and all of those things and that helped you progress within that way i think i think growing up in the pubs definitely helped i think it's i think i think you are either that way or you're not yeah um but for me relationships is is, is fundamental um especially to what we do now but but going back to those days in the pubs you used to have to deal with all sorts of people Mm. you know from from you guys that were in there you know some people would come into that pub it was a locals pub so they'd yeah. come in there at four o'clock every day sit have two pints and go home yeah. you know it's like a, like a religion it's yeah. quite really yeah. scary other guys would be there in there at lunchtime you know it was so consistent yeah but then towards the evening you got a different crowd and different types of people mm. that you had to manage differently so and presumably you know, as you grew up you were starting to serve talk to people oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and things like yeah. that. So you had to learn those social skills yeah. quite quickly. I mean, at the age of probably 10, 12, I was serving beyond the bar, slightly legal, so let's not let's not go there. But Yeah, back in the day, though, I don't think that was illegal. Back probably, in the day, I don't you're not think... drinking the alcohol, I think yeah. it's probably fine. Yeah, so I, I think I probably pulled my first pint when I was seven, eight years old, but I was serving in the, behind the bar at 10, 11 yeah. years old. Um, and, it, and it was a great, you know, you're thrown in the deep end. You know, we... we there's an element now in society where we, I think we protect our kids a little bit too much. Mm. You know, my kids couldn't cope with that. Yeah. You know, um, Jess went and worked at the local pub recently. Yeah. You know, um, and I was worried for her. Yeah. She coped brilliantly. She was absolutely fine. And yeah. in fact, she, that environment that she's going into is even more protected than, than where I was in a backstreet pub. Yeah. But I was worried for her. And we shouldn't be worried. You know, we, we've got to let them spread their wings and grow. Um, yeah. But she did brilliant. You know, she coped with it really well. Um, but, 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 but going back to, to sort of those those days in the pub, in the bank, having those relationships makes such a difference because you learn how to handle different types of people. Yeah. Yeah, and what their motivations are uh, and what they want to achieve. And that's where now what we do now in terms of working with businesses, directors, developers, that's absolutely crucial because just because you have one business that does X and another business that does Y. Yeah. They may want to move in completely different directions. They may have completely different motivations. You know, one mm. might be looking to retire. One might be looking to grow the business. Yeah. You know, one might be massively into looking after their staff. The other one maybe just wants to get so you really as much need to value. Understand them. So you need to understand the individuals as well as the business. Yeah. That that's that's a massive key. Yeah. And they are two separate things. And you, you got yourself to a really good position. So how we obviously met was through me getting married to Kieran, you're part of Kieran's family. But how you helped me and how we first started spending time together is when I started Grow Factor and where I was living in Stockwell in South London. Yeah. And I always talk about every business has to attract customers, has to convert customers, has to deliver to customers. I spent the first year re-performing work so I knew how to do the delivery. Mm-hmm. I'm confident in my own ability to sell, so I knew how to do the conversion, but I had no idea how to attract potential clients. So I only had two or three of my friends and family. Yeah. And so I came to you and asked for help, and you took your time, which I'll always remember, you took your time out of your own day to help me and introduce me to people that you knew, primarily bank managers. Yeah, yeah utilized your network and favors and friends to get me meetings with local bank managers who I could then pitch my services to. And when they had business customers that needed a good accountant, they referred me work. And that probably got me through the first year or two because mm-hmm. they were consistently sending me people every one or two days. And then I would network with them and you'd give me other ideas like 
offer to go and do talks at the bank and things like that. And then I've been doing my own thing for, I guess it's six or seven years when you came to me and said, look, I'm sort of thinking about doing my own thing, but I'm a bit hesitant. Yeah. And it must have been so hard. Your career then is probably 25 years, 20 plus years in, in the bank. It was, I've done, I've done virtually exactly 30 years. When 30, I, when you've I, when done I 30 years, in good banking. salary, pensions, security. Your kids are in school. You know, your wife is being provided for in the way that she can work part-time. She can choose to do what she wants to do. And you've got a choice to make then. Give all that up because you feel this sort of, like, why did you stop that? What got you thinking, I want to do things on my own at that point? Because no one was managing you. No one was checking what you were doing on a day-to-day basis. You had your bank of clients. You were looking after their funding requirements and their wealth management. You were playing golf quite regularly. Not like you were getting caned for work. You had a no, nice no. work-life balance, right? No, no, it was, it was good. So what was the motivation for starting your own business? I think, um, well, to sort of complete that chapter, so I did, I did 12 years in that West where I left when I was a, a senior manager. Yeah. And, and at that point, myself and Kay were together. We were um, looking to get married. Um, and we were going through a process with that. So we actually, uh, it was a a wrench to leave NatWest because I've been there 12 years. You've been constantly drummed into you that NatWest was the best thing since life bread. You don't want to work anywhere else. We're the best bank, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how they do it. I've got a final salary scheme, et cetera, et cetera. So my first plunge into um, being an entrepreneur, being self-employed was actually at that point. Okay. So we went to Holland um, for 12 months and set up a, a, a consultancy business there. Yeah. Um, basically selling pensions, life insurance, et cetera, et cetera, to expats that lived in Holland. So that was your business? That was my business, Okay, yeah. I didn't even realise that. Yeah, so we were linked. So what did you say to your fiancé, <laughs> yeah. who you, you'd met in Wolverhampton, yeah. presumably? I yeah, don't yeah. even know how you came yeah. there. Me and Kay, we, we were at school together. She was, oh, she, was, okay. she was 15, I was 17 when we met. Um, so you've been together for how long? Too many years. Uh, so what, I'm 53 now, so... Yeah, too many years. A long time. I, I don't want to do the maths. So you've said to her, don't worry. <laughs> I you can leave all your friends and family behind. Yeah. You're going to go to Holland for the year. And yeah. she just supported well, we didn't, you. We didn't even know it was for the year. We were, okay. As far as we were concerned, we were, we were going, going. Right, okay. So, so yeah. you know, we um, I'd got a nice contract uh, with this um, company that, that put me in touch with all the, all the providers. Yeah. I knew the industry inside out. Um, we'd got a few leads into expats. So we sold into people like Foot Locker. Gosh, um, KPN, there are loads of big companies that have got expats over there where yeah. they weren't providing them with the full suite of employee benefits. And this opportunity just came about because came you know so many people, you're networking, yeah. you're talking, you're having these conversations. Yeah. So another thing is, I'm reading this book at the moment, The 50th Law with 50 Cent and Robert Greene, which sounds so random, but yeah. it's actually really good. Right. And the key principle of the first, I'm only one chapter in, is live without fear. And it talks about why someone like 50 Cent, because of his upbringing, would just move forward without fear and how you approach things differently. And when you live without fear, you also always have your ears open to opportunities. Yeah. Whereas when you're living with fear, okay, I need to get this customer, I need to pay these bills, or I need to do this. There are all these opportunities going around. You know, people talk about the secret and awareness and all these things, but you just don't 
hear them? Yeah. Yeah. So you heard this opportunity, you've gone to Holland. Yeah. Uh, one, of my, one of my customers' sons was already um, doing what we went out to do, but yeah. he was doing it in Amsterdam. And there was an opportunity to look after Utrecht and that side of the company. Yeah. And he showed me, you know, what he was doing, how much money he was making, et cetera, et cetera, which was a, which was a big attraction. Yeah. Uh, and to be fair, we made an awful lot of money in, in, in 12 months. We did really well. Yeah. Um, but the initial bit of it was convincing myself and Kay that it was the right thing to do, you know, yeah. leaving behind a very steady job. Where did you go in Holland? Company. Co- we lived in Utrecht. I don't know where that is. Utrecht. Um, it's the third. I I've think only it's been third. to Amsterdam. Third largest city after Amsterdam, Rotterdam. Okay, so it's probably a bit more attractive than Wolverhampton, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Some a few nicer say. canals, nicer bars, nicer restaurants. But it was it was a lovely place, and it was more it was less touristy than than Amsterdam. Yeah, you know. But we we you know we were there twelve months. We toured the country, went to the Hague. We went, we went all over the shop. We had a, we had a we had a really good twelve months. But the, the 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 difficulty was that initial sort of three or four months where I actually went out on my own. For two, two, two and a half, three months. Yeah. Then we got married. Then Kay came out. Okay. So she left a teaching career. So she was a teacher. Wow. Yeah. So, so she, she believed in you. Yeah. She believed. She believed. Which so gives much you a lot of confidence. If your oh, partner yeah. believes in you, yeah. similar to Kieran, uh, who's in early retirement, who went into <laughs> early retirement at like twenty nine or thirty. I don't know. I might have got that wrong. I'll probably get in trouble. Close. Now. Yeah. They wouldn't give up their jobs, full-time income, if they didn't believe that you were going to provide for the family. Well, not only that, but she, Kay, Kay actually went out there, uh, and, and not, not through a massive help of mine, but she found international schools yeah. where she could then teach English to kids that were there, that were the kids of the expats. Okay, so she was proactive. She yeah. didn't say, okay, I'm going to go out and just have a holiday. No, no, she was... She wants to work. No, she, she wanted to work, so she, yeah. she's got experience which, you know, not many teachers in the UK will have, of, of teaching um, expat kids in an in, international school in Holland and got to learn their system and how they worked. Yeah. You know, so it was, she, she, she did, and she travelled the country. The train system over there is fantastic. You never get a late train in Holland. Yeah. You know, um, so, so. She, I can't remember the last time I took a train, to be fair. So she used the train system. She, she, you know, she taught kids that were the children of executives of Shell. And people like that. Okay. So again, but she then used those contacts to get me in yeah. to do to do the stuff that I do. Yeah. So yeah, so that was like twelve months. We did that for twelve months. And and after twelve months we'd sort of had enough. I mean, we were doing silly things like we were flying back for Wolves Homes games every every two weeks. Because <laughs> you're a massive yeah. Wolverhampton Wanderers fan, right? Yeah. So the and, the, ex- um, the excuse was that we were coming back to see family. Okay. But the real reason was <laughs> back to I'd still got a wall season ticket. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was a bit daft. But so you're in Holland, but really your heart was still yeah. in England. Yeah. And then about eight, nine months in, I got a phone call from um from one of my friends who'd moved from that west to, to HSBC saying, Look, there's a role here. Um, um if you fancy it, you know, you could come back quite easily, slot back into the banking world, mm. nice salary, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, whether we caved, whether it was the right time whether it was just everything had settled down at home. So, so family had settled down. Yeah. Kay was like accepted into the family, which was great. Um, so it just seemed the right time to come back. So we did, we did 12 months. We made a bit of money. We came back to an, another nice job. So I joined HSBC. Yeah. Um, initially their private bank went through their process, um, ended up managing teams, uh, left there, um, Six years later, so I did yeah six years at HSBC, and then joined Barclays, uh, which was a totally different 
Okay. And you moving around within the banks because you get to know people within the banks. And if there's an opportunity, almost like the January transfer window for Premier League footballers, the best senior bankers are going to have their own clients, right? And if you move around within, I guess, requirements of not being able to take clients from one bank to another, they know your capabilities, they know that you're good. And if they need someone to fill a position, presumably you're at HSBC, but other people are coming up to you and saying, we'd like you for this role, we'd yeah, like you for that role. It was, it was a little bit different to that in the, in the at HSBC, I was still in this regulated world okay, where we did pensions, life insurance, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to get into the lending side. Okay. Yeah. Why um, did you want to get into lending away because from you wealth could see, management? Because you, you could see that wealth management within banks was changing. So, and independent so, financial advisors outside would start yeah, taking over. Yeah, and, and, and the regulations were changing. So, yeah. And you could see, you know, there was the, the pensions scandal, if you like. There's all these little things creeping in, which were making that side of it a lot more difficult. Yeah. And the banks were being disencouraged from selling packaged products. So you couldn't say, right, you're taking out a loan, Mr. Business Customer. Yeah. So if you want this loan, you must take out the life insurance. So that's, that was separating, breaking away, whereas that was sort of the part of the package before, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And there's a couple of lessons there already I just want to park on before we move on. One is your network, it really is your net worth. And even if you're not naturally a socializer like you are, you can think about yourself and how you like to interact with people and making sure that you're, even if you have to, forcing yourself to build relationships because i i think when we had covid i went in and just before that we moved growth factor to being totally remote yeah i remember yeah and i got into that routine of you know working 20 30 hours a week spending tons of time with my kids who were young at that point not going out and doing any physical networking because i didn't see the direct return on investment of it mm -hmm. and everything i did i wanted there to be some direct measurable return yeah but actually relationships aren't like that First of all, they can be enjoyable, yeah. even if nothing comes of it. But if you have enough relationships with enough people and your circle is at your level or above, yeah, great things will come at some point in your lifetime from every single one of those relationships. I, right. I really enjoy helping people. Whether I get any monetary reward for that, yeah, that's okay. The money will come. Money will always come. If you, if you help people, um, you know, there are a couple of guys locally who have, uh, who have set up in business recently mm. in the financial circles that we've, we've helped, we've helped each other. Yep. You know, we, 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 we're good friends. I don't get any monetary reward for that, but I'd, I'd take time out to help them because yep. they take time out to help me. Yeah. And, and you just mentioned there something about your circle being at the same level or above. Yeah. That, that's a big factor. Yeah. That's a really big factor because I think the people that you, so, so, so just jumping back so did HSPC, join Barclays. Barclays is a whole another story, which is fantastic. But one of the things that I had with Barclays and, and is, is, is that I got to meet some very, very wealthy individuals, some very, very strong individuals in terms of they knew what they wanted in their lives, et cetera, et cetera. So having those associations, playing golf with those sort of guys, yeah. makes a massive difference as to your own personal ambitions. Yeah. Because you can see that it's achievable. Yeah. Yeah. That, and they're no that, different to you, right? And they're no different to us. That's the biggest thing. Your network is your net worth. Yeah. But actually put yourself around people yeah. who are where you want to be. Or even if you don't know where you want to go, yeah. put yourself around successful people. But successful people want to bring up people that they associate with. Yeah, but as a non-successful person, you'd never think that would be true. Oh, it's, it's massive. 
but you you realize i mean i'm only successful to a certain level of relativity right everything's relative yeah but compared to someone starting a business i'm successful yeah but i will only get true fulfillment true happiness from helping others whether that's through setting up a growth act charitable foundation and doing work there gives me the same level of fulfillment as helping a startup business. You know, sometimes I book calls with people and they say, look, can I still book a call with you? Because I'm, you know, I'm only doing 5k a month or I'm only doing 10k a month and I don't really want to waste your time. Mm. And if they're nice and they just want some advice, I'll always take the call if I can. Yeah. Even like you said, if there's nothing to come from it, because at the end of it, you feel great. Yeah. You can take your experience and like you said, bring someone else up. But it's, but it's a journey. And if you don't enjoy the journey, then when you reach the destination, you yeah. still won't be happy. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, if you're not if you're not happy doing what you're doing during like today. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not happy today, there's no point in thinking. Well, when I get when I get that when I get that big house when I get that Ferrari or when yeah. I get that that when I get there I'm going to be happy because you won't be because yeah. you you haven't enjoyed getting there. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, 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 it makes total sense. Uh, and and that's the bit that I thought I think took me quite a bit of time to, 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 to get into my head mm. uh, and also to talk to Kay and the kids about in that, you know, it's not about when we can, I don't know, go on really, really expensive holidays or, yeah. or, 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 or you know, we need to enjoy this time now yeah. because this is the time that we've got together now. Yeah. And when you talk about relationships and helping people and, and that making you feel good and making you feel happy, I mean, we do, I don't know if you're aware, but I'm a trustee of the Smile for Joel charity. No, I wasn't actually. Um, so, so we do. I, I, I always use the word "we" because I think of works as "we," yeah. although it's only myself and Kay. So we do an awful lot of charity work um, with the companies that we work for. So I run um, a couple of golf days a year. Yeah, no, I know you did the um, golf days actually. Yeah. So we do we do the golf days. Um, we do quizzes. We do all sorts of things, but we we do an awful lot of work for charity. That that you know, I don't get anything back in terms of monetary value. But what I get back is a sense of good feeling. But also, it opens doors. It opens you meet more people, yeah. like-minded people, and that makes a massive difference. Um, and I don't necessarily do it for that either. I do it because I enjoy doing it. I enjoy arranging a golf day. Yeah, you know. Um, so we do one for Macmillan Cancer because um, a friend of mine, who uh, was a director of one of the businesses that I work with, sadly passed away at a young age and left a family. Macmillan Cancer supported him, so so that's just giving something back. Mm. And then um, another firm that we work with, uh, they pick a different charity every year, and so we support. We try and find small charity support. Yeah, and that makes a big difference. Yeah, um, and then probably it's not just the individual money as well. You're bringing that network together and of high net worth individuals to play golf, and then they have an awareness of that charity. And yeah, they'll probably go and do things to support that charity moving forward. I mean, we you know typically we raise anything between five and six k on a on a, on a on a charity golf day, but it's enjoyable. It gets people networking. They get some value out of it. Yeah. But then, but then you know you're raising money for for a good cause. So. And I think you've done it naturally. But one of the ways that people listening or watching might be able to leverage and start to create a network if you don't have one already is something that Tony Robbins teaches at Business Mastery, which is find six or eight people that you either already know or you can reach out to and say, look, I just want to create a group of people that help each other, a mastermind, if you will, where we jump on Zoom once a month and we each go through, say, one problem and one win. Yeah. 
we talk, we communicate, set up a group WhatsApp group and help bring each other up. Yeah. And that doesn't have to cost anything. No. That mastermind structure is super easy. And if you've got that group of people all supporting each other, so what Tony says is go and find eight people within the room. There's 1,200 people at Business Mastery that are around your level, yeah. non-competitive, either in the same industry or different industries, but things you think would complement each other. Mm. And people end up coming away from that event with this network, usually people all around the world, yeah. and it continues forever because you help yeah. people. So. It's not like you necessarily have to pay to join a mastermind or if you don't know where to start, you know, that's an easy way to start. And the prevalence of social media and the ease that you've got now, although people might ignore your messages because they get so many advertising and spam messages yeah, on yeah. LinkedIn and Instagram. If you keep trying hard, you'll eventually get eight people. And I'm thinking about doing mastermind dinners in here because you can't sort of see on the angle of all the cameras, but there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight chairs. It's a very nice dining room. Yeah, and how cool would it be in here <laughs> yeah, to yeah. have eight people who are all CEOs once a quarter have a dinner catered by Mihirs and my good friend Harvey who also will do waitering service and all these things. Dinner, drinks, chats, and just, just an informal mastermind. It's a great idea. Something yeah. like that. So if you think outside the box, these things, although you've got the cost of the food and things like that, don't have to cost a lot of money. And I think you've done that naturally. You are a very good golfer. I am a terrible golfer because I'm like muscle. Very good is very good is like uh, there's, there's a big there's okay. a big relative relative to me. You're a very yeah. good golfer, yeah. and you've obviously recognised early that golf is a really good way to spend two, three, four hours with someone doing you've, an activity. You've got their undivided attention. Yeah, you've got their undivided attention. So right. you know, one of my customers, he, he, we we most of our meetings are on a golf course, so we 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 can talk as we go around. Mm. We, we, we put whatever strategy we need to put in place, et cetera, et cetera. You're so, getting your steps in. Yeah, you're getting your steps in. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's horses for courses to, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever suits that particular client. But in terms of networking, you know, most people are genuinely want to help. Most, yeah. you know, you, you, most people don't get out of bed thinking, right, I'm not going to help somebody or, or I'm just focused on. Most people, if you ask them for help, will help. Yeah, so you don't have people. to do everything on so your own. So you don't, you don't have to do and everything. And if you live without fear, again, yeah. You wouldn't have a fear of approaching someone who you think is way higher than you and saying, "I've even, got this issue." Even competitors. What would you do about it? Even yeah. competitors. So, so doing what I do, and there's there's two sides of the business, but the one side is very very competitive, and there's an awful lot of people out there doing what what, what I do, what we do. Yeah. But I get an awful lot of help from my competitors, you know, because people will people want to see you succeed in reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. You shouldn't be afraid of approaching your competitors, or, or to, you should know them anyway because you should know your competitor. Yeah, but you know you, you shouldn't be afraid. And that those those and again, you're in that journey, aren't you? So why are you why are you trying to make an enemy out of somebody who's a competitor? There's no there's yeah, no and the market is so yeah. much bigger than you think. You the market's massive. There's five and a half million. There's, there's more small business, businesses. There's more business for everybody in the UK. So I don't necessarily see other accountants as competitors because if they're a better fit for a potential client than we are, yeah, then great. I think the other thing in there is, so that's the first lesson, your network is your net worth. The second lesson that I think was really important is you were already looking ahead. Yeah. And you've already talked about, I guess you did this, some of this in your bank training, you know, doing SWOT analysis, and it's ingrained in you to think about the opportunities, but also think about the threats to your own career. Yeah. But also people should be thinking about threats to their own business. Yeah. You can't just live in the now. There's all this whole thing about personally, yes, you want to be present, 
But from a business owner perspective, at regular intervals, you need to try and think about the future. For example, how will AI impact me? Yeah. AI eventually will take 80% of the role of a virtual CFO, a finance officer or a finance director. Because you can go to the AI, input all your financials and say, where can I make more money? Yeah. How could I generate more cash flow? I went on to ChatGPT yesterday and said uh, something like, what are 10 ways that an accountant could generate leads? Or actually it was, um, what's uh, 10 different social media posts that would be great for an accountant in 2023? Wow. After I'd just done a week-long training on it, and it literally in two seconds came up with everything that I'd just spent a week learning. You know, that is scary. Yeah. But how can an accountant work with that to generate? Because you always need a human eye yeah. and you always need a human relationship. But if an accountant can, say, use ChatGPT to speed up the process of analyzing the numbers, yeah, that can make it cheaper for the client. It can make it quicker for the client. So like you looked ahead and you said, okay, well, the regulations are changing. If I stay in this market, my clients are going to slowly ebb away because they're going to go over to the independent side and move away from the bank. Yeah. And you moved early, I guess, a lot quicker than some of your other colleagues and friends. Um, a lot a lot of people stayed in the industry, left the bank and set up their own IFAs. Yeah. And, okay. and, and I've done really well. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, and I still come back to all the training that I had at that point with the bank was fantastic. So I was, you know, I wasn't walking away with nothing. I was walking away with this, this skill set that I'll be forever grateful for. Yeah. Um, and then joining Barclays, Barclays actually enhanced that skill set, you know. Um, and the guys that I work with at Barclays, equally fantastic people, mm. still friends with them today. You know, uh, we still get on, but 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 great people. But that team spirit that we had at Barclays was absolutely fantastic. But coming back to why we set up Works and why we did what we did, I'd got this. Um, so when I joined Barclays, I was looking after a portfolio of clients, about eighty odd customers. Yeah. Um, and a sort of mix, what we call a mixed portfolio. So we had all sorts of companies in there, uh, turning over between two and roughly about 20 odd million, 25 million. And what are you doing for those clients at that point? So with Barclays, when you're a director and you're looking after a client bank, you actually look after every single limit for that client. Okay. So it doesn't matter whether it's an overdraft, a loan, credit card, yeah. an FX line, letters of credit, um, you know, foreign exchange. Uh, invoice discounting, asset finance, you were the person that was responsible for what that company or group of companies is borrowing from the bank. So you had one eye on, on, on it. And are you yeah. also the person they come to for advice yeah. Yeah. on, okay, I want to buy this new piece of machinery. What's the most optimal way for yeah. me to finance that? that that's the, so you have to that's have a the really in-depth understanding of their business, of fund or their business but yeah. also funding mm. options. Yeah. And funding options... Uh, as the market changes in yeah. terms of what 100% yeah. the offering the interest rates there's so many variables that are changing all the time you have to stay on top of that right yeah so you you wanted to be as the bank manager the trusted advisor yeah for, for, for that company from a financial perspective and that's not always easy to do because you tend to find that customers I don't know if you found, are very loyal to solicitors they're very loyal to the accountants because the accountants know everything. That's financial intimacy. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so you've got that, and then you've got the banks. And some customers, there's there's a, there's a gap between the bank and them because they see the bank as a as a as a, as a more of a processing thing than than a, yeah. Than a and sometimes I guess they see it as a 
as a block to their growth. Yeah. Or why won't you give me this extra 250k? Yeah. Why won't you just give me because a million pound overdraft? Because you've already 250k in, yeah. in, in, in debt. But sometimes... Yeah, I'm a businessman. Just give me a million pound yeah. overdraft. What's the problem? It's a great idea. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a, a great, great idea. idea. You'll be fine. Yeah. You'll be fine. So I think... I think um, so we so, so joined Barclays, went into this role where the learning curve was really steep because bearing in mind, I hadn't been involved in any of these products before. Yeah. So we had, at that stage, I had about 80 customers. And we had a fantastic first... 12 months, um, my first, when, when the guy that took me on, um, who again was fantastic for my development uh, and really believed in me, um, he took me on and he gave me the first sort of big lending um, proposition that we had, which was a care home uh, for, a, for an Asian guy in, 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 in Wolverhampton, yeah. who is still, I'm still friends with today, uh, but he was my first sort of big client at, at Barclays. So he did a two million pound development loan for a, for, a, for a nursing home in Wolverhampton, um, literally five minute drive from where we live. Um, and it was like in at the deep end, yeah. you know what I mean? So you had to, you know, had to get all the numbers together, talk to credit, talk to the client, understand yeah. the proposition, yeah. understand the existing business, how it was going to work. Because ultimately you're making sure that the client gets what they want, but also the bank makes something from it. And bank you're, will not always risking, you're not risking the bank's capital yeah. then, right? Yeah. Because if you start lending money out here, there, and everywhere, and people keep defaulting, you're not going to last very long, are you? No. Oh, no, no. It, it, it's all about risk mitigation. Risk mitigation for the bank, risk mitigation for the client. So yeah. how can you reduce the number of risks that we've Presumably, taken? say you've got 80 clients, you will have a certain amount each year that can't meet their obligations? Um, depends, because... That doesn't mean you've had a, done a bad job, for no, example. But, because but markets COVID, change. Yeah. yeah, COVID markets change. You know, we, we, I was at I was at Barclays when we went through the recession in yeah. two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when the, all, all that happened. So we had businesses that struggled, and yeah. it wasn't it wasn't because of what the decisions they made or the bank had made. It was more so the markets changed. You know, yeah. property values have come down. Yeah. Trading is suddenly not relevant in that particular trade, etc., yeah. etc. So there are lots of external factors that will impact a business that really the business guys, they either have to adapt very, very quickly, and those yeah. that can't adapt would be the ones that may not be able to meet their obligation. But I guess your role there is to try and work with them yeah. to yeah. refinance or restructure yeah. so that they can afford to repay the debt they took on yeah. in the first place, right? Maybe they took on a loan to buy gym equipment and now their gym is closed for a year because of yeah. COVID restrictions, right? Yeah. yeah. And you, as the bank, you don't want to see that debt recall, that's the last That's resort, always the last right? resort, yeah, yeah. You want to see that business stay open and just be able to get your money back over a longer time period in an ideal situation. Yeah. I mean, whether whether it was luck or fortune, but but to be fair, I didn't have that many situations of that ilk to deal with. We had, we had a few, um, yeah. and they were massive learning curves because you, you approach those customers in a different way or, or you look at those customers in a different way because if you've got a... A business that's struggling, you know, cash flow is is king, is yeah. priority. Cash you know? is king. So you're suddenly looking at the business in a different way. You're trying to um, maybe leverage assets that you wouldn't have previously leveraged, but you're also trying to make sure that you're doing the right thing by the individuals in that business yeah. and the bank. Yeah. So there's a big, there's a, there's a sort of big, you, you've got to work together. And, yeah. and they, you know, don't get me wrong. In the recession, there were some banks who who obviously went in a little bit heavy handed. There were some banks that were really good with clients, um, um, and you're going to get that across the industry. Yeah. Um, but you've got to live with yourself and wake up in the morning and say that you've done the right thing by the client and the bank. Yeah. And that that for me was always the biggest thing. 
And so what made you leave Barclays? Obviously, we had a conversation when you were thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. And my role there, as I remember it anyway, was to say, if you've thought it through and you really want to do it, don't be put off by the running of your own business type thing. I'm here to support you should you need any help in the app, which you didn't really need any help, to be fair. But to give you a gentle push to do it. Yeah. Because I think if you are thinking about doing it, obviously you'd already been to Holland and done it to some degree as well. Yeah. You have to do it. Yeah. I think I think what happened was I'd got these 80 customers when I first, first joined and took them on. And as I say, they were very... Um, it was a mixed portfolio, so you know we we had clients that sold um, food into the likes of Lidl, Aldi, and Waitrose. So I had clients that made parts for BMW, yeah. Scania, etc. So it was a real mixed bag, and, and you got to know each of the businesses. And These while, are local, more localized businesses, yeah, though, right? Yeah, so in like or around the Black Country, being in Wolverhampton, you're going to have, I guess, manufacturers, retailers, yeah. food, yeah, all those kinds. All of those. Things. Kinds you're not going to have like tech companies and no, things like that. Right? No, very little in that sort of yeah. sector. So they were real businesses, real people, and when we had, as I say, at that point had about eighty, and I, I really liked the fact that I could get a phone call from a client, one of yeah. those eighties. They would know me when they picked up the phone. I would know them. Yeah. But I'd also, in the back of my mind, have an idea of what their financial situation was, what we could or couldn't possibly do for them if they yeah. wanted to. You know, yeah. if somebody suddenly rang up and said, "Look, um, we haven't been paid by a client. We've got to pay the wages. I need twenty grand, or I need a hundred grand by yeah. next week. Otherwise, yeah. I can't pay the wages." You've got to know in the back of your mind, yes, it's Joe Boggs on the phone. His business is X, Y, Z, et cetera. You've got to be able to recall all that. Yeah. And bank managers do, yeah. amazingly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if out of 80, one could phone up. And you might not have spoken to him for a month or so, but you've got to be able to recall everything about that business straight away. Yeah. And I love that, that challenge of, 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 of sort of, you know, somebody picking up the phone randomly to me and I knew what was going on, which was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so because with each of these clients, we did an annual review, so you go out and see them. Yeah, and you're working with them to make sure yeah. that their finances are in order, which yeah. is another really important point. We find that our clients don't have an issue generally if they've got a decent balance sheet in getting funding because all of their accounts are up to date every week in zero. Their numbers are there. Financial information is, stuff, yeah, yeah. We, we can provide it within a click of a button. It's, right? it's, 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 you know, from a bank point of view, the first thing is, do you know your numbers? Yeah. You know, do you know your numbers? So it's okay picking up the phone to me saying, you want hundred grand to pay the wages next week. Okay, so what are the numbers? And if your MI isn't up to date, yeah, you know, if your accounts aren't up to date, then it makes it more difficult because yeah, you need to see yeah. management information, yeah. you need to see a monthly profit and loss, you need to see a cash flow, you need to see a balance sheet. Yeah. So as an owner, number one, you need to understand that and have your own financial intelligence, but you need to have the right we talk about financial mastery, which is the right systems and processes, so you've got up to date numbers all the time. You're right the right level of financial intelligence so you can understand it and have a conversation with your bank manager. Yeah. Yeah. And the right financial planning in place. So when you turn around and say, well, okay, this is what has happened. This is your understanding of it, which aligns with mine. So I'm confident in your ability to understand the numbers. But what's your plan moving forward? You need to have a financial plan. You need to have a cash flow forecast. Yeah. I think that those things are key. So so to cut a long story short, started off with 80 customers. Yeah. Had a restructure. This is why I asked you, what's your... <laughs> absolute cutoff point because i know that we could literally talk gone for ages yeah but but to cut a long story short so we 80 customers so then the bank had a restructure and i went down to 40 customers which was fine yeah. uh, so bigger customers so we started off at six and a half million turnover uh going into higher turnovers bigger lending etc etc then we had another reshuffle and um 
the bank, I asked for a, for a check, which would have been nice, which would have been the wrong move at that point, but I asked for it anyway, but, but, but it would have been the wrong move. And um, we were reducing the number of guys that we had looking after the, the, the manufacturing base. So I went into um, the corporate real estate team in Birmingham yep. um, and, had, and, and, and looked after developers of both residential and commercial properties and investors in residential and commercial properties. So okay. totally different to what I'd been doing before. Yeah, but like, you have a like, personal interest in property and property yeah. investment. And- yeah, so it was like a, like a brand new job. But, but I'd gone from 80 customers to 40 customers to 12. Yeah. And I sort of got bored. Okay. So they're much bigger, but I guess the requirements yeah. come around less often. And in a bigger operation like that, you're not getting these calls all the time, building no. relationships. No, because in, in property, when it's busy, it's really busy. Yeah. But when it's quiet, it's quiet. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got a really good team around me, um, really good guys who are, who are great at what they do. And again, my my job there was to make sure the quantum of debt was looked after, that we yeah. understood all of that, and that, that you know we developed those clients. But as I say, I'd gone from 80 to 40 to 12. Yeah. Um, and I've got this big thing around, you know, the customer's here and the bank's here. And you as the bank manager, bank director, call it what you want, are in the middle. And if you are constantly sort of over here next to the bank, you know, your customers aren't necessarily going to love you as much. So I think when I approached my banking career, I was always slightly over here towards the customer. Yeah. And then I would fight for the customer. And the reason why I always did that, or it happened sort of naturally, was that without the customer, what's the point of having the bank? Yeah. There's no point. Yeah. So it was always that fighting for the customer. Yeah. And in fact, when we were in the property, we we were doing a charity quiz night, and one of my customers was talking to my boss, and my boss actually said to them, I don't know who Jazz works for, whether he works for us or for you, (laughs) because he's always like... Fighting against me and the, he's on the credit our side. Team. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, always yeah. on. He's always on your bloody side. Yeah, you know. So and he said that to my client, which yeah. my client was like, "Wow, actually, we didn't think of it that way." Yeah. Um, but that—that's the way I sort of. That was my mantra, really. Um, and as I say, I got bored, and then that particular client I was talking to, and he sort of said, "Well, come work for us." And I said, "Well, I can't go from eighty to forty to twelve to one." I think that yeah. would really be, you know, and I want—I want to sit in you in your office twiddling my thumbs. And he said, well, have a think. And I went back to him and said, look, I think I could probably do what you need me to do, maybe a day a week, maybe a bit more. Yeah. And we then struck a deal where I became a, a sort of non-executive director, if you will, or a yeah. consultant to his business, uh, which I still am now. Uh, and that's how sort of Words was born. So he then took that model, refined it a couple of times, um, and that's how the consultancy business was born, where we now help clients mostly from a sort of FD side, uh, but a real sort of diverse way of looking at things for each company. Uh, and so for some companies, it's more of an FD role. For some companies, it's more of a financial director, yeah, maybe so a sales role. It just depends on on where the gap is yeah. in their management structure. And so just for listeners or viewers who don't know what a non-exec is, if you've got a business and it gets to a certain size, like what size do you think a business should start thinking about having a board structure because before that i think everyone should have a coach or a mentor right because it just shortcuts the route to success even from zero yeah, yeah ideally yeah get on a program or get a course or have a mentor or just have someone like we spoke about that will help you for free because you've yeah. reached out to them that will support you um or have a great accountancy firm that you can reach out to and they'll give you strategic guidance when you yeah. need it but what's what 
What sort of size of business do you think should start thinking about creating a board? And then we could get into what's a non-exec director. I think I think that's a difficult question um, because... Okay, I'll give you my view and see if you agree with it. Go on then. I think you hit a million, you can probably still run that business with a CEO and a COO, or we talk about a visionary, which is me. Yeah. I create content, I do the podcast, I do all of that stuff, but I don't want to do any of the actual work. And an integrator, which is Yasser, who's our COO at GrowFactor, yeah. who makes sure that all the workflow is getting done, all the team are supported, all the key performance indicators are moving, you know, the work is getting done. Basically, the business runs. That's your managing director or your COO. Now, I need a mentor because I need that person to guide the ship from a really high level. Someone yeah. that's built and sold businesses for 20, 30 million multiple times who can come in as an external view on the business and can once a month just have an hour-long call with them and they can say, well, this, this, and this. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think at a million I need board meetings and that structure yet. But I think once you creep from one to two, and this will be different for every business, but say for me, now we're in the process of I do think we need a board. And the point of the board is that there's some accountability to review your numbers every month. Yeah to look at your cash flow, to look yep. at your historic performance. So uh, I listened to Stephen Bartlett speak and he was like, when I go in and I sit on the board of businesses, I'm not really interested in their projections or the monthly management accounts. I'm interested in the gradient of the line. So I wanna see what angle the profit, revenue and cash flow line is pointing at. And I want to know where that will end up in a year or five years or 10 years, which I thought was so interesting. So his role as a non-exec is usually to come in and be the, in the marketing seat. So for anyone that's listening, my view would be a million or above, you start thinking about creating a board. What's the point of a board? Well, you as an owner will have a certain key skill. Mm -hmm. Mine is relationship building, but I'm not an expert at marketing. I'm not an expert at internal operations, although I did an engineering degree. So you start to bring people in to sit around your board table, if you can imagine a table, Yeah. and you bring the most important seats in first. So first of all, it's your overall mentor. Then probably someone like you comes in and maybe they're sitting in the financial director or head of funding seat that looks at the numbers. Yeah. Then you might bring someone in as, as a marketing expert, non-exec, so on and so forth. So you're starting to almost build these like Avengers who come in once a month and you have a board meeting across a board structure where you discuss, are we on track with a business plan? Are we on track with a financial plan? What do the funding obligations look like? Have we got any opportunities on the table that we could get funding for? You just start to have a bit more of a formalized structure around the way you run your business. I think, I think the key word there is structure. Yeah. Okay. I, think, I, think, I think the size of the business to a degree, I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but it's 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 more about having the right structure for the right business, in my view. Okay, so so you know you could have a business that's turning over multi millions, yeah, and that could just be because of the commodity that it deals in. So yeah. if the price of that commodity has done that, you can go from five million to twenty million turnover, but just because the price of what you're dealing with has, has increased. Yeah. So you might not not increase necessarily the volumes that you're doing. Yeah. But you're luckily enough to be in an industry where it's it's increased. So yeah. if you're dealing with something like gold or whatever or metals or whatever, that, yeah. that, that can happen. Yeah. Okay. But you still need a structure. And what business owners and this is just my experience, business owners tend to be very good at what they're very good at. Yeah. Yeah. So an engineer is very good at engineering. Yeah. He's not necessarily very good at marketing, sales, 
managing people, HR, yeah. et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So those jobs get done, but they don't get done the way they should do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They don't get done. And there's no one at a high and level. There's, and there's nobody going, it. hang on a sec, mate, you're not looking after that. You know? Yeah. Hang yeah. on a sec. Yeah. Hang on a sec. Your, your HR booklet is dated 1982. That yeah. might not be. Or hang on a yeah. sec, you've got 250K, which I saw the other day, 250K of funding here, and you're paying 18%. Wow. But your balance sheet is positive. Yeah. You've got cash in the bank. Mm. You could save literally tens of thousands of pounds every month just by refinancing that. Yeah. So that would be your finance seat, non-exec, right? Yeah. So, so, so in that in that scenario where I'm saying, so an engineer is an engineer, and and you've got all. So my role when I go into a company, or when I, when we start the conversation, is about seeing if there is a gap. Because yeah. there might not be a gap. They may have all those people in place. So they might have that structure in place. Yeah. That that works. But if there's a gap, then that's, that's a gap that we can fill potentially. Yeah. yeah. And and we'd only fill it if we thought we could. Because and you've got the expertise. Because your you've... primary expertise is on the finance side and the high-level business is. strategy it's... side. Yeah. But you're not going to come in and be an expert in digital marketing. No, no. But what you've got to have is that little black book where you can bring people in. Yeah, so, so that's a really interesting point. If you If a business owner is starting, the first person you bring in actually should be someone that can then fill the rest of your board yeah. up. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not a HR expert. Yeah. Okay. But I understand a lot about HR. Yeah. But I've got a HR partner person who yeah. will come in and feel, you know, I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. There are certain things that you need a lawyer for. Yeah. And 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 again, all lawyers are different. I'm lucky enough to to work with a lot of fantastic lawyers. Um that you know, we can we can pick and choose the right lawyer. So yeah. we've done a recently we've done a property deal where we had to find a lawyer for the client who who runs a, you know, hugely successful business. Yeah. You know, 20 odd million turnover you'd think would have a lawyer that they used, they, they had, but yeah. the lawyer hadn't got enough PI. Yeah. So we had to find, you know, so use me to find the right lawyer at the right price. Yes, yeah, so they didn't have enough the indemnity to deal yeah. with the transactions of that value. Correct. So so it's all about that structure and... and Kind of like, I mean, the one I always think of is Gymshark. Yeah. Um, Gymshark founder had the idea, built the business to a certain size, then straight away realized this is not my area of expertise. So he brought on someone who had run a massive business in retail. Yeah. And if you look at the history of Gymshark, appointed a finance director, you know, these, because it was such a big business, were internal payroll roles. But the role of a non-exec is you're not on the payroll. You're not an internal member of staff. You're supposed to be somewhat independent that you sit yeah. outside of the business and come in and it's, give your opinion. It's weird because it's... When, when you when the businesses that I work with and work very closely with number one I so I left I left Barclays in December seventeen and set this up in January eighteen so the businesses that I work with um, I do feel part of the team yeah because you know you have to you have to be able to talk to the business owners in a way that as you say an internal person may not because an inter but the difference is I get what you're saying I totally agree but the difference is an internal person is worried about getting sacked yeah. If they say something that the owners don't agree yeah, with, I, 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 whereas I, a non-exec will have multiple roles, yeah. will not be reliant on that income. Therefore, their role is to sit around that table once a week, once a month, once a quarter, and give their honest opinion based on their expertise. Right? You have, yeah, you have to, you have to, um, you have to be really, really truthful. Yeah, honest with them. Because some of the stuff you may say to them, they may not like. Yeah, and they may have been doing something in their business for the last. 
10 years, which they may be doing either wrong or it's slightly out of kilter or whatever, or there's a better way of doing it, but because they've always done it this way, we want to do it that way. Yeah. So you have to be really, and some people don't want to listen. Yeah. So, you know, the one thing about working 30 odd years in, 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 in a corporate organization in banks, particularly in banks and particularly when you're lending money is that you have to do things the right way. Yeah. Because a risk to the business, if you don't do it, is that that pulls a cropper and then, and then you yeah. can't meet your obligations. Yeah. And that's right. Because a business that's small can just go. Mm. Once you get to a certain size, the risk gets bigger that you do something slightly wrong, which could pull everything down. But, but also the attention on you is more. Yeah. So things like things that, are, that, that you have to do in a business that are peripheral, that people don't see as necessarily important. Although these days they're drumming, you know, HR, health and safety, all these types of so things. So it's part of your role that, say, usually you'd go into a business that's doing really, really well, but maybe they're losing a little bit of control. Yeah. And you'd go in as the first non-exec, first board member. And so what would be the first sort of three to five just real headline steps that you would take in that business? So you'd, you'd, you'd review the business model. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the right, are, we, are we doing the right thing in the right, in the right sort of and area? And give recommendations yeah. for any changes. Um, well, you'd talk to the business owner because they know the sector better than you do. Yeah. But you look at the overall, does it make sense? Does it stack up? Yeah. So when, when we used to do a credit report for the banks, you had all these different sections that you would go through. And basically, yeah. you just do that. Yeah. So then you look at the management team. Strengths, weaknesses, yeah. opportunities, yeah. threats. Exactly. Look at the financials. Yeah. Basically doing a mini audit, effectively. Yeah. Yeah. And dialogue, which we used to call a walkthrough, I think, when we were in audit, a long time ago. And then feeding back an almost yeah. advisory report. Here's what we need to change. Here's what's good. Here's what's not so good. Yeah. That That's... I mean, that essentially is it. A diagnostic, so it's, basically. It's, it's, it's basically a diagnostic on the business. Okay, you know? so that's the and then, first step. And then, and, then, and, then, and then what do you do? Well, then then you talk to the business owner. Do they buy into it or not? Yeah. Yeah? Are they, are they going to actually engage, interact, be willing to change things? Okay, so you create a plan yeah. based on your diagnostic. You create a plan for a, a, a number of fixes or changes over a period of time. Yeah. And then you see if you can get buy-in. Yeah, well, yeah, you, you've got to... You've got to get buy-in from the... That was like a... Um, yeah. yeah, but no. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No. Yeah, yeah. You've, got to get, you've, got to get, you've got to get the buy-in from the owner from, from virtually from day one in, 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 in the, the, the way that I approach it. For me, look, if we go into a business, okay, and I'll have a couple of hours with the business owner, and from what they're telling me, actually everything's hunky-dory and it works and there's no value that I can add, Yeah. right? I can try and work out something that I can... But in reality, I'll walk away. Yeah. Okay. If I go into a business, I mean, I've worked in businesses for six months, 12 months, where I've walked away because they won't listen or they won't do things that I think is the right thing to do yeah. for both the individual and the business, but yeah. they are entrenched in their ways. Yeah. And that's a difficult thing to do because you, you are giving up income. So people understand what's happening is someone's coming into your business that's got 35 years of experience of working with businesses. And what comes with that is yeah. you can quite quickly and easily see by doing Q&A with the owner where the opportunities lie, where the risks lie, where the problems lie, where the good things lie, where the bad things lie, and work with them over a period of time to improve the business. They've got a, they've got, and, and then the, 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 the two key things to understand when, we, when, when I go in is... is Number one is the business and the business model and what it does. Yeah. It's also to understand the individuals, the owners of the business. Perhaps it's a family structure. Yeah. yeah. How does that how does that family structure work? Yeah. What 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 are the levers? What are the what are the you know, 
is somebody been promoted over their grade, et cetera, et cetera, all those types. And you need to understand what the motivations are. Yeah. Yeah. Those two things, the business itself and the individuals, are the key. Now, if all that can work together, yeah. yeah but there is a there is a management gap somewhere along the line, or they just need some somebody to just bring it together. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 sit, as you've said, sit above it, just help them to manage that process. So, you know, we we end up dealing with shareholder issues, um, HR issues, um, all sorts of stuff where it's just applying that sensible approach and the years of training from the bank gives mm. you that sensible approach. How do they identify that they actually need someone to come in? They, they don't, no, generally. <laughs> they don't. Okay. I just go in and tell them. No, that's wrong. Um, I, think, I think you talk to people and if you say to a business, yeah, what are your three biggest issues? What's what's the biggest thing that keeps you awake at night? Yeah, you know. So what are you doing about that big thing that keeps you awake at night? What do you what do you lie worried about? And then what you and want is it all on your shoulders? Is it all I on think your one shoulders? of the biggest things yeah. for listeners and viewers is this is a natural progression. Yeah, you can't run your business by yourself forever. No, you have to. Bring you can't in be. Help. You can't be the, the purchase director, the sales director, the managing director, the FD, one individual. And you can hire a, people for those yeah. roles, but even every single business you look at that's successful will have hired people to take stuff off the owner, mm -hmm. but they'll also have a board with non-exec directors yeah. so that you've got or, some or, independent or, yeah. view. Or advisors, or, or advisors, or they, yeah. have, or they use their accountant for that, or they may use a, a solicitor or whatever. You know, you'll always have that. I think most businesses, when they get to a certain level, need to have that external view of somebody looking in and going, well, hang on, have you thought about that? Yeah. What are you doing about this? You know, the law's changing in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what are you preparing? You know, the green uh, strategy or whatever. Yeah, you and if, call you're, it. if you're listening yeah, and you're you, watching you and things are really difficult yeah. and you feel like you're doing everything yourself and you're banging your head against the wall. Yeah. This could be an answer, you know, and it may not be jazz, but it, it may be, no, but, <laughs> but you can bring someone in yeah. to help you on a regular basis. Yeah. And if you haven't even heard of the term non-exec director or board or things like that, the Institute of Directors, the website has yeah, a load of fantastic. really good information and training. You can literally go on Google. We can't cover everything in the podcast. And it's not, it's a, it's a story about your journey. It's not primarily an education podcast, but have a look at that. So you can only, I'm just conscious of time. You can only do so much because you're one, one man, right? Mm. So you could do a non-exec role for say 10 clients, half a day a week. That's your five days. So you get to be really choosy about who you work with. Now you could scale that business by partnering with some of your old buddies from yeah. bank, from network, from wherever, as opportunities come in to do non-exec, you could use works to put other yeah. non-execs into we, those we, businesses. We, but we, how, we, how else do you scale that we, side of the business? We have done that. Um, and I've got I've got a couple of guys and one guy in particular that I use uh, and we work together really, really well. Um, he's fantastic. And in fact, between us, we've ended up buying half a business because we, we wanted to help. And are you doing that? Owner. As a nice guy, just introducing because it's your mate, or are you trying to scale that side of your business where you take a percentage of their so their so, retainer or no no so so my my I'm five years into this now so this is my sixth year yeah and we um, what I wanted to do was build a really solid base which I which I think I've now got which is great and I really enjoy working with the companies that, that I'm working with um, 
and that's the non-exec side of the business. We we can grow that, but you're really selling your time for money. Yeah, and I think I think you know, and if you put other really senior people in, they might give you five or ten percent for the introduction of their ongoing retainer. But it's never going to be a case of where you're taking 50, 75% of the, of the non-exec retainer. No. Do, you know, do you know, a non-exec or a, or a consultancy role is really, really individual. It's really personality-led. It's relationship-led. But if you look at that company, there was a company that, uh, I can't remember what they're called now, but you can go on their website and you can find a non-exec director or a mentor yeah. or a virtual FD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they will just take a percentage of that person that yeah. goes in. So there is yeah. a model. I, I've been that. I've been approached to join some of those groups. Yeah. Um, but you said earlier, I, I'm quite picky with who I work with. In yeah. As possible. So. so that allows you to get that working with a variety of clients. Totally every, different challenge. Every every client. phone every phone call is different. And talk to us about the other side, your expertise around funding. So, the, so, so we've got the non-exec stuff. The yeah. other side of the business um, is, is is funding, and that that is finding um, monies for people who need other money for their business, be it manufacturing, yeah. or or more so, really for developers and, and property. So that people. side makes sense, yeah. Property, yeah. You want to develop a site, yeah. yeah. You need a million pounds to do the development work, yeah. yeah. And then you know after that's done and there's an asset on the ground, yeah. you can refinance that and pay off the debt. That makes sense, yeah. But for a normal business, yeah, like an accountancy firm or a fitness coach or an e-commerce brand or anything, why would someone, and I think everyone should, take funding at some point? It's natural. Mm. Why would someone consider to take funding and when should they it just well, again they identify it that depends on the journey of the of the of, of the business and, and what they're looking to achieve so on on the property side it's fairly fairly straightforward in the, yeah. in the you know I mean, we'll get back into yeah. that but i'm just trying to think about a lot of people in business they think of funding as oh you're in trouble yeah actually it's not we took on funding i think about 300k of funding because we identified that our lead flow was working really really well we wanted to hire team members and train them, which takes three to six months to get them up to speed, really, ahead of yeah. acquisition of new clients. And in order to do that, with the understanding of the cash flow cycle, yeah. okay, you're only generating, say, 10 to 20K of cash flow every month, but you want to go and hire six people. So you need the recruitment fee, you need the upfront fee, you're going to have some of them drop off. You just need sometimes an injection of capital to take advantage of something that is an opportunity, and, and what you described there is a is a it's a mini business plan, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you, if you've got that, then you know when you need money, because some businesses you can grow without. So maybe it's like a hairdresser that's going to open up a second salon. Yeah, so or it's e-commerce that yeah. want that see, you've got to have, see you've got to have, they see an ads working. Yeah, you've got to have a purpose and for the money. money to put yeah. into it. Yeah, you've got to have okay. a purpose for that money. So there's yeah. got to be a plan as to. What are you going to? It's a bit like Dragon's Den, isn't it? What are you going to use that money for? Yeah. And how are you going to pay it back? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if if all you want to do is borrow money to buy a Ferrari, yeah, then that doesn't necessarily work. So so it, it is all about having that bit of a business plan. Yeah. Uh, and 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 you know, it could be a, a management buyout. So you're borrowing the money to buy the business off one of your fellow shareholders. Yeah. Yeah. So you're leveraging the assets to do that, and that's a common thing that people do. Um, it could be that you want to um, invoice discount so that the cash flow in the business is better, so that you and then you can you know, use that money. You can use that money. It so, could be that you've got yourself in a 
difficult situation because maybe you've lost, maybe you're a, a client-based business, you've lost 20% of your clients because there was a bad press article or something happened. Yeah. You have a plan in place to reacquire the clients, but in the short term, you've got negative cash flow. Now you can get funding for that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, these days, there are, there are an awful lot of funders out there. Yeah. So, you know, in the old days, it was, you know, you had your four big banks. Yeah. Um, now you've got secondary lenders, you've got third-tier lenders. Um, I was at a, uh, an exhibition yesterday in, in Birmingham, and there were, I don't know, 120 or different lenders. And there's so many different types of funding. So the reason for coming to someone like you or engaging with works as a business owner yeah. is that you've then got someone who's on your side. Yeah who's independent that says, well, no, you don't even need the funding because you could just cut yeah. this, this, and this cost yeah, and yeah. your cash flow goes up instantly. Yeah. Or I get your business plan. I think it's a good opportunity. You know, because the, the reason that we work so well together with, with clients of Grow Factor as well, and you've helped out so many of our clients, especially during COVID, the amount of funding that we got together yeah, for our clients that kept businesses open, you know, we must have done multiple seven figures of of, of finance yeah. for clients that really kept these family businesses open. And now they're thriving and they're paying that back over over time. Sometimes people will struggle and they're like, well, I'll just go on Google and go directly to say funding circle. Yeah. But that is one lender of it's, one funding type. It's one what lender you, and it's one funding type. I think what you the the, the expertise that and I, you know, I'm not. I don't know everything. I don't know every lender out there, etc. Et yeah. You know, would, you, would you say, like, if you were to say what that role is, is it a broker, a funding broker? Yeah, is that what it's it, called? You can call it. You see, sometimes a, a broker will take a business and say, "Okay, it's very easy. You, 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 here's a here's a lender," or they'll send it out to ten lenders, and whichever lender says, "Yeah," they'll they'll put the two together, and there you go, off you go. The way that I approach it, I still approach it like I'm a bank manager. Yeah, which is why we've worked with you and no one else for a long, long time because I get emails all the time, every single week saying, oh, I think on LinkedIn, I think we could have a great relationship. Yeah. You've got some awesome clients and we could be of real benefit. But I know just from looking at the name of their business, the client will apply and all they will do is chuck it at a few lenders with no thought and chuck back to the client some opportunities. Whereas you're looking at the business, I appro- really I'm approaching it as a bank manager. type of finance. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll wrap up my thought because I'm not being very articulate. <laughs> but the difference between going to Funding Circle, which is one lender of one funding type, yeah. and there's nothing against Funding Circle, no. just as an example, because that's who we've actually got our lending from. Mm-hmm. And they are great. But there could be a hundred different funding types and you need an expert to tell you what which is the right one for you. Yeah. And a thousand different lenders. Tons of matter. Surely you need someone in between you and the hundred and the thousand yeah. to help you choose the type and the lender. Yeah, because it could be you can make a couple of tweaks to your business and you might not need the funding. Yeah. Or you could make a couple of tweaks to the way you present the financial information yeah. and get lending two percent cheaper, cheaper on the interest yeah. rate. Yeah. Or you might have security in the business that you don't even realise could be classed as security. Yeah. So, this, but you, you've got to have somebody that's holistic, yeah. who's on your side. Yeah. Yeah. To analyse that part of it and say, well, actually, why don't you do it this way, this way, this way? Yeah. Yeah. And people who who have grown their businesses um, quite quickly, that's where you tend to get those type of issues because they haven't had a financial 
influence and the accountant just does the books and doesn't yeah. do anything else. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's where that's where we can add some real value. And yeah. we have done, you know, even to the degree that we've we've said to clients, well, you don't need to borrow the money because yeah. actually you've just got your cash flow wrong. Yeah. You know, you 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 you're getting your you could restructure your yeah, payment you, terms you, you or pay whatever. Your, you're it might paying be. your creditors on day one. Why, yeah. why aren't you paying them on day yeah. sixty? Yeah. Have you actually had that conversation with your suppliers? Yeah. You know, so it's 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 it is more about under, I keep coming back to it. It's about understanding the business and the individuals. And then what is what? What do they actually want to achieve? Yeah, and doing the right thing. And because the then, right if thing. you tell them they don't need it, and they can make these three or four changes, they'll make them. But when an opportunity comes, they'll come back to you to get the funding for the opportunity. I, I recently introduced a property developer, and he is um, he's building building four houses uh, in the Nottingham area, uh, and he's virtually got them complete. Um, but his existing development funder is reaching the end of their um, term. Yeah. So how long? So the the, the building was delayed slightly because of increased costs and blah blah. Anyway, so so the existing lender has said to him, "But your facility runs out on on day X. We need to be repaid. Let us know how you're going to repay." So he himself went into the market, spoke to property lenders, bridges, and obviously the price of a bridging loan yeah is a lot more expensive than what he's got. Yeah. Plus he's got to pay a new valuation fees, legal fees, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So so. It, Somehow he got hold of me um, and we started talking. I said, okay, so happy to get you quotes for bridge funding, but have you actually had a proper conversation with the existing lender Yeah, who, who I knew? Uh, and he went, well, we've had a chat and I've said, uh, you know, asked him, could they, could they not extend the loan and blah, blah. Yeah. I said, but what, what you really need to do is have a, a really proper conversation with them. Present the numbers in terms of when are you going to finish the property, what the properties are going to sell for, here are the local comparables, Here's a view from a local estate agent. Yeah. Here's the estate agent that you're going to use to sell it. So present them with a full and proper plan of how they are going to get repaid. Yeah? Yeah. Rather than trying to find another lender to take on the job. Yeah? Because you're going to save on fees. You're going to save on legal costs. You're going to save on a lot of pain and headache if you can get the existing lender to do it. And he said, okay. So he said, so how, how do you get – how does that help you? I said, it doesn't help me. It's helping you. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I said, I – you know, for me to move this in the time space that you need to move it is a real hassle. Yeah. And and it'll be hassle for you. You just need to be approached. So we made a list over the phone. We made a list of these are the things that you need to, to get sorted to present your property to the bank. I said, if you want to send it over to me first, fine. And you did it and they, they extended the loan. Amazing. You know? But what that does, I know you're doing it out of being a good person, but also if you plant enough good person oh, he's, seeds, he's already come back. He said the next project, he said you the next project also, he will go and tell yeah. 10 other people that yeah. you did that for him. And so I know you work a lot within the property sector on these high value deals, but property sector or business, the same principles will apply. What do you think are the sort of top three ways that a business can maximize the chance of getting funding and also maximize or minimize the cost of that funding, as in get the best interest rate, get the best terms. So, so the first thing is, is something that we've, we've, we've talked about time and time again, and that's having your numbers. Yeah. Having your management information, having your accounts, and if it's a development or a property deal, understanding the numbers, making sure you've done the comparables. Yeah. So again, you know, uh, we, I've got a various spreadsheets that we used to, to do that. So the first thing is the numbers. The first yeah. thing is, is uh, you know, and you'd be surprised even when businesses get to the 20, 30 million, that they haven't got management accounts. Oh, no, I know. It's crazy. It's amazing. Yeah. Right? So you come across businesses that you think are really, really good. You know, even household names that, that don't do management account. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the first thing is, is you get your numbers in place. Yeah. In terms of 
getting the best interest rate, getting the best sort of type of lender, et cetera, et cetera. That all boils down to the business and the structure of the business and then seeing where it fits in, into the lending world. Okay. Yeah? Because if you've got a million pound property yeah. and you only want to borrow 250,000, yeah. guess what? You're going to get a really good deal and you're not going to pay an awful lot of interest. Yeah. If on that same million pound property you want to borrow 750,000, yeah. you're going to pay a little bit more interest and yeah. a little bit more in fees. Because, and, and the banks are going to do a lot more due diligence because of, so you, you, your difference between the lender that will lend you 250 grand against a million between the lender that lends 750 grand uh, for a property is, is, is vast. Yeah. 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 So it's understanding what you want that money for and then, and then, and, and how you want it structured and then, and then go into the market. Yeah. Because really the structure of the deal drives the interest rate. Okay. And, and the fees. So then on a property side, that's the structure of the deal. And that's working with an expert like you that can provide all the right templates to get your numbers in order. Yeah. But for a business that might have an opportunity in the same way, they need to show a really clear projection yeah. of their business plan, what they're going to use the money for, you know, the how one, they're going to get the return on investment. The one big thing all lenders want to know is what are the risks? Yeah. Right. So risk mitigation, I keep coming back to that. Yeah. But also how are we going to get paid? Yeah. How are we going to get repaid? So you need a cash flow as well. So you need, really. you need a plan. You need a business that plan. That makes you know, sense. That makes sense. That stacks up. Yeah. But, and if you can prove it from past performance, even better. But but how does it how does it work? Yeah. So as a business, if you've got your numbers in zero, for example, you've got all of the historic performance mm. easily. If you have a financial plan, even if it's in a Google sheet, mm. and you can get that in, you can actually create, there's this other software that we tag on to zero for our clients. You can create reports for banks and lenders for funding that are specifically set up with all the metrics that they want to see yeah, yeah. with a click. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that's really useful. You know, the more, more information, the correct information that you can pull together that makes your business plan stack up, that makes sense. And if you can prove it from past performance, even better. Yeah. And it just shows you're in control of your it business. It just shows you're well. in control of the business. And like I say, you know, and, and, People get very, when they don't borrow money, people get very naive to that. Yeah. Because they think that when they need money, then it's got to be dead easy because everybody wants to lend money. But, you know, all the banks, and rightly so, all the lenders still want to do their due diligence. They still mm. want to know how they're going to get repaid. Yeah. They still want to know if things go wrong, what can they revert back to? Yeah. Yeah. So what can they leverage? Whether it's, yeah. you know, most loans now, I always say to my clients, don't even think about taking on a business loan and not putting some personal liability on there nowadays, yeah. which I think is only right. You shouldn't be able to. I think I still think it's crazy that people could take out a business loan in the past mm. with no personal liability. Yeah. So if they defaulted on the loan and then they shut down and liquidated their company, the bank get nothing. Mm. If you're the director and you own the majority of the equity in that business, if you're taking on the loan, you should have some sort of liability so you can't walk away from it. I think, I think that comes down to personal, um, you know, you know, when you're running a business and, and you, you've got to, you're, you're so invested in that business. Yeah. You believe in that business. Yeah. And I think if you don't, it comes across. Yeah, because if you're not willing to take a personal liability, you don't yeah. really, do you truly really, believe, yeah, do you really in, believe the in the business plan for the funding. You know, I mean, yeah. I've got, I, you know, some, some of the developers that I work with, they'll they'll put up a personal guarantee, even yeah. even though there are lenders out there that probably wouldn't take it. Yeah, but they'll put up a personal guarantee because they get a cheaper rate. Yeah, and because they believe in the project. Uh, and you know, and again, it depends on how much you leverage. So if you're borrowing fifty percent against a property, actually putting a PG is sort of slightly relevant because that property's got to fall by fifty percent. Yeah, before the bank will ever try and come in on that personal guarantee. 
and and it's and it's sometimes it's, it's explaining that to a business owner. Yeah. Yeah. That that that's the key. Hang on a second. You do realise that for them to ever call on this personal guarantee, all this has got to fall over. Yeah, and they're not just going to come. People think they're going to come in the night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And start wheeling yeah. out their TV. We used to do that in nineteen eighties, but not anymore. And, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they will do everything possible yeah. to keep getting paid because your house, let's say, it's worth a million pounds. You're not going to have a million pound of debt and a million pound personal. You're probably taking a two hundred k loan. They don't want to sell your million pound house no. to get their two hundred k back, right? They would do everything possible to restructure and refinance that obligation. Um. What do you think, I got away from this in the last couple of podcasts, but I already know probably what the, what the first two are. What do you think are, have been three keys to your success? Because you're in a position now where you've got really nice roles, well-paid, good businesses as a non-exec. They value your advice. You, you know what you're doing. You've built up this massive network of high value people. You have an in-depth understanding of funding, when people should take funding, what type of funding without just looking at it. What do you think, uh, you've done well is what I'm trying to say. You've, you've done, done really okay. well. I think, I think we're, you know, we, we're, we're, we're okay. Yeah, so well, you're, you've got a good degree of humility as well, not like me. Someone said on one of my YouTube videos the other day, look at this guy pretending to be humble. I thought, <laughs> oh, I'm not doing a good job of that, am I? Um, what do you think are three keys to your success that other people could could take from this, I whether think, they're working or whether they're running their own businesses? I think the, the, the biggest thing for me is having the support of your family. So I, yeah. I, I, I couldn't do what I do without Kay, without the kids being on side. So involve them in the process, so talk to them about your goals, talk your dreams, to them about, your desires. Yeah, and, and why, you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing. My kids know that I work for myself. They yeah. know that, you know, this morning I left the house at, seven o'clock nobody tells me to get out of bed nobody yeah. tells me to and know, that shows them yeah it shows them work so, hard yeah hard work pays off yeah but then you've got to balance that with you know a bit of work-life balance and make sure that when you're with them you try and be with them now yeah they'll tell you you know i'll have the ipad i'll have the phone you know and that that for me comes back to being brought up in the pub where the work and work-life balance sort of merged. Yeah, it's work integration, work-life yeah. integration. It's work integration. Most of what I do is on the phone or on emails. Yeah. You know, when, you, when you're chasing solicitors or you're chasing banks or you're chasing funders or you're chasing information most of the yeah. time, yeah. it's done on phone calls and emails. You know, I don't need to sit in front of a solicitor to, to say you need to send me X, Y, Z. And it's high-level stuff. So people could turn around and say to you, you need to hire a VA, which might be useful but you'd need to hire a really great one that's really trustworthy and is on it yeah otherwise you just do it yourself because you you don't really need someone in between you and the client when you're dealing with like a 20 million pound property deal but 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 also you you've then got to explain the intricacies of that deal to, to somebody yeah. else and by the time you've explained it you could have done the email yourself yeah okay so, so you've got get so, family involved so the, the family thing is key so i think that's the first thing hard work pays off is hard, your second one hard hard work pays off and and hard work doesn't mean long hours it means so I, I can in 15 minutes you know knock out 10 12 emails yeah at eight o'clock at night yeah you know i play i play football on a wednesday uh, i get back about half nine ten o'clock i'll do 20 minutes 30 minutes just making sure the emails of the day are yeah open. and so i think one of the one of the other things that that will make or i adhere to 
when I joined Barclays, my um, the, the, the guy that took me on um, told me this. He said, the biggest complaint that customers have is that the bank manager doesn't get back to them. Mm. Yeah, doesn't return a phone call, doesn't return an email, or yeah. takes too long to return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said, I'm sure the, everyone can yeah. associate with that. So he said, that is the key. So one of my key things I think that does make me work well or, or be successful, if, if even if you can term it as that, is that if somebody sends me an email or makes a phone call, they get either an email back or return phone call that day. Yeah. Doesn't matter what time it is. Yeah. Yeah. And and that for me is a, is a, even if it's a holding, even if I haven't got the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a massive one. Yeah. If you can't deal with something, sometimes we had team members in the past, long, long time ago, who just wouldn't acknowledge the email. Because because they're afraid to say to the customer, we haven't got an answer for you. Or I haven't got or time the answer, to do Or the answer right is actually no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a massive one because people want to know where they stand. Business owners, especially yeah. around funding and finance, they need they to know stressed. where they stand. But you're yeah. putting yourself in the shoes of the business owner, yeah, and trying you've to got understand to, how they feel. You've got to take that responsibility, own yeah. it, and no matter what 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 it is, what what your client has given you to do, yeah, you've got to own it like it's your own. You've got to manage that as if it's your own business, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter to me whether it's one of my non-execs. Or whether it's one of the one of the funding bits that we're doing, I will take it on as if it's my own business. That that for me is the biggest thing. When you're dealing, if they know that you're you're on their side, hundred yeah. percent, yeah, that you're with them. So the principle to me, it's not actually get back to people. It's act as if you are the client. Yeah, act as if you 100%. are the customer. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Um, is there any? I know you made some notes. Is there is anything that you wanted to? Talk about or cover that we haven't spoken about. No, I think I think the other the other third thing that I think works for me, and I know you're you're into it as well, is 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 keeping yourself healthy. Yeah, yeah. It's that it's that you know you've got work life balance, but you've also got work health balance. Yeah, and it's keeping yourself healthy because you're no good to anybody if you're poorly or if you you know. So, really important point actually, because so many business ninety six percent of businesses fail over a ten year period basically because. It gets too hard, and the business owner just gives up. Yeah. Now you're you've been in business now really for like forty years, really. Yeah. Probably longer if you count from when you started pouring pints at the pub. Yeah, I guess. So yeah. actually, a <laughs> massive takeaway from this is longevity in business. Yeah, you've got to you've got to look after yourself as well as the business, as well as the other people, as well as the people. You, it starts here. If you don't look after yourself, you're not good to anybody, are you? Mentally and physically. Yeah, mentally and physically. So, you know, I know you're into your meditation and, and, and stuff like that. And I sort of meditate, but don't. I just take time out. And then I like having an hour just sitting quietly in a room. And then I'll come out with a list of stuff. Thinking time. Yeah, just Massive that is. I haven't spoken about that on the podcast. Yeah. But so, so that thinking time, even yeah. an hour a week of yeah. just sitting just with sitting. a pen and paper yeah. and just thinking. Yeah. And it's amazing what will come out. Yeah. It's amazing what comes out. And I do that, you know, uh, probably a couple of times a week. Um, probably don't do it enough, to be fair. But that, for me, is, a, is, is really powerful. Into, and I'll remember something I've forgotten. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Something that's buried deep in your mind, you'll come out. And you feel so calm after yeah. just sitting for an hour. Yeah. And, and you, you're, just getting of rid of, you're just getting rid of that. Brain dump. Yeah, yeah brain dump. Massive. It has, a, it has a huge effect. So I think those are the three things. But, you know... You can go on, couldn't you? Because I think I think having the right people around you is massive. You know, when when I made the leap from Barclays to being on my own, I got a squad of people who yeah. said you were one of them. Who said, "Look, do it. We're here to support you. Do it. If it falls over, we'll change it." Yeah. You know, and if something, if you try something and it doesn't work, try again. Do it differently. Try again. Do it differently. Yeah. Try because eventually you'll hit the formula. 
Yeah. But if you don't try, if you don't do it the first time and fail, you'll, you'll never get to the success. Fail forward, right? Yeah. Fail forward. Try it again. Do something different. And that happened, you know, the model, the model that we've got has changed. You know, we, we started out on a, on a sort of day rate thing and now, you know, we, we're more into potentially profit sharing, et cetera, et cetera. So the model, it will evolve. Yeah. You know, one of the first few, you know, the first people that really helped me was, a, was another firm of accountants as well. Um, can I say their name? I probably can't. Can I? But they, 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 were, they were really helpful and supporting me throughout the process. But, but one of the key things they said is, look, Jazz, let's start, do the model. If it falls over, we'll change it. Yeah. If it falls over again, we'll change it. Yeah. But we'll get it right in the end. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know if it's even right now, but the, the biggest thing is that I'm enjoying the journey. Yeah. And you're moving forward. Yeah. Someone said the same thing to me. I sat, when I do business mastery in person, the Tony Robbins events, I sit next to one of the founding equity partners of Markham. They're one of the biggest accountancy firms in the US. Mm-hmm. Like sitting next to a founding partner of KPMG. Yeah. And so I just ask him questions for like five days constantly. Yeah. You learn, how should you learn from doing that? Yeah, I said to him, um, I really don't know like how I should be charging for bookkeeping because, you know, this is complicated. That is complicated. He was like, Simon, you're overcomplicating it. How much does it cost you to hire a bookkeeper this much? Just make your retainer at least as much as it's going to cost you for a full-time person. Put that person full-time on that client's account. And then just work it out from there. Mm. Sometimes you can't get everything perfect. Yeah, on day you one. You have to just, yeah, make yeah. your best guess of how yeah. you should price, how you should charge, how you deliver, and you just are constantly evolving it as you go on, right? But sometimes you, you, the satisfaction of doing or getting a client over the line or, or helping a client along, you know, is, is huge. And it can be the smallest thing. We, 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 were, we were sitting there, I was with one of the developers the other day, and he was, he, we were talking about um, the hire of skips and, and the cost. So, so on, a, on, a, on this particular site, we were going to use 25 skips over the, over the 18 month period that the bill was going to be. Mm. And he was telling me the price of the skips. And I said, hang on a sec, I know, I know I've, I've got a friend of mine who, who sits um, down a few seats from us in the, at the walls, who I used to look after, who's got a skip waste company in, in Wolverhampton. Second best team yeah. in the Midlands, yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, so, you know, not beating us. Anyway, we put them, uh, we put them together and we say 30% on skips. Now, what the hell has skips got to do with a financial? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But it's someone but it's outside the business. Acting when you're as if owner, they're in the business. Yeah. But yeah. when you're an owner, you're too in the business to see those things. Yeah. I think that's a really nice place to wrap up because it shows you the value of having someone outside the business come in, not necessarily as a non-exec, but having a mentor, having a coach. And also, I think people, you know, from today, we could talk forever. Yeah. I'm keeping you on time because I know you've got to be somewhere. Yeah. And we've gone over that anyway. But we definitely have to do a part two. I'd love to dig in more based on the feedback into the role of a business and actually the mechanics of some of the things you do when you go in as a non-exec. And also some examples on different ways that people can fund how that works and just get into it in a bit more detail. I think that's great. But as a start, I think for me, it's been so interesting. I've learned things that I didn't know about you before, (laughs) like from pulling pints at seven, eight years old to where you are now, the longevity in business of 40 years, 30 to 40 years of consistently moving forward and learning the principles of hard work, building a big network, bringing your family into place, 
And probably the biggest one is the one that we ended on, which is always having that Kaizen approach to life and business, which is don't have to get it right first time, but it's an approach that Toyota take. Every single day, you should look for small little ways that you can improve the way that you do things. And it's amazing if you look at, there's an analogy that Tony Robbins uses about betting on a golf course. We won't get into it now, but it looks at the power of compound interest. If you make all these tiny little changes Change every day, over a 10-year period, you could go from a business that's just a, you know, a side hustle to something that's turning over 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 million a year. It's, it's incredible. But if you don't want to do that because you think you have to make all these big moves, it's the wrong mindset for me. So I think that's a really good place for us to wrap up. Very difficult to do a big move. Very easy to do something small and yep. then do it again and then do it again. And, and keep moving again. toward, have a vision, yeah. have the goals. Yeah. If you want to go from here to here, you can't do it in a, yeah. you've got to, you've got to. Patient, steady. Consistent yeah. Progress. I've been trying to improve my golf game for the last 20 odd years. And, and my friends will tell you that it hasn't changed. It's still rubbish. So maybe some things don't work out, but there you go. <laughs> I'm sure you're making improvements <laughs> somewhere, but thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening guys. Thanks for watching. It's been another episode of Founder Stories and I'll see you in the next one.